Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, there are concerns over the cost of debt as the federal budget outlines more than $100 billion in new spending. I really believe that the greater danger today is not to invest in a strong recovery from the COVID recession and not to invest in stronger, more robust, long-term growth for Canada. Jagmeet Singh says he will not vote against the budget despite what he calls broken promises. What we're going to do is do the responsible thing. In this pandemic, there's no way in a third wave there is any justification to to put this country through an election. It would be unsafe and it would be uh, it would be unjust. It would be unfair for Canadians. So we're absolutely not going to do that. And Doug Ford faces more criticism for his handling of the third wave in Ontario. This is not what should be happening. I mean, the the Premier is once again uh, making decisions based on politics uh, as opposed to the expert advice. Uh, And it shouldn't be that way. We are in an absolute crisis. It's Tuesday, April 20th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist with the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Yes, happy day after budget day. Yes, so uh, here we are, and a lot has been said and written already about the first federal budget in more than two years, uh, and the largest in terms of the size of the document and the size of the deficit in uh, in Canadian history. So what are some of the highlights from your perspective now that we've had some time to digest it all? Well, I guess, you know, the highlight for everybody, if there's one big headline item, and the government, of course, made sure to publicize it before the budget came out, is this new child care program. It's a lot of money. There's a massive amount of expectations. And this is, you know, 30 plus years of promising to give us child care. And the absolute conviction by Krista Freeland, she says that this time it will get done. Yeah, and and do you think it will get done uh, this time? It, it, of course, we're on a timetable here. It's not it's not something that's going to be implemented in the next six months. No, that's right. Um, what struck me about the budget and what I wrote about uh, was how much of it is dependent on the provinces. I, you know, I've been joking that clearly the prime minister is enjoying these talks he's having with premiers so often during the pandemic because his budget commits himself to an awful lot of conversations with provinces. Pretty much anything that has care in the title, whether it's child care, uh, long-term care, pharmacare, health care, are all subjects of discussion that he is saying that he is going to be having with the provinces over the next um, however long he's in power. I, yeah. I, it, it's, uh, he, he has really tied himself to, to federal, provincial, territorial discussions in a way I don't think we've seen any prime minister do. He, he seems enormously confident that, that these conversations will go well, and history shows us that you know, federal-provincial relations are some of the toughest nuts to crack in, the, in this federation. Yeah. I think, you know, for anybody who said that this is going to be the budget that redesigns or reimagines Canada, he has not done that. He has actually sort of steeped himself deep in the workings of the federation to deliver this, and that makes everything uncertain. They say childcare is doable, but 
but this again depends on on willing provinces and it's it's who it's, it's put in in terms of this is going to be an offer too good to refuse and the federal government is going to share 50 percent of the cost i think all of these things are going to be negotiated and and we're going to be watching we're going to have to watch uh, for the next little while. We are not going to have a national child care program by Christmas. Right. Uh, we, the chances of an election before then are, yeah. are bigger. So it's uh, it's an article of faith, and it's it's uh, it's part of uh, a platform for whenever the next federal election is, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Any other highlights, Susan? Anything else that jumped out at you? Anything surprising or or noteworthy? You know, I was looking for, there's usually a little treat somewhere in the budget, you know, doing away with the penny or some little surprise. I didn't find one in this one. I truly had expected that they were going to extend the tax deadline. I thought that was going to be the shiny object. But for all those Canadians who thought that maybe this budget would give them another week or two uh, or a month or two to do their, their, uh, their taxes, I'm afraid there's nothing there for that. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I think what you're starting to see in the waves of commentary right now, too, um, my colleague Heather Schofield, who's been, you know, uh, been way out ahead on, on this budget, has talked about how conventional some of the thinking is, is around things. It, it did not design, you know, the pandemic forced us to rethink, you know, the nature of employment insurance in this country and employment and, and unemployment relief. And for the gig economy, and and the, what this budget is promising is just more conversations about that. We do not have totally redesigned social system, not yet, anyway. Um, no matter how many people were were expecting the great reset in this budget. Yeah, and it's also a budget with a lot of spending, obviously, and uh, and the continuing philosophy that the government is going to solve all of the problems in. In our society, the immediate problems, obviously, around the coronavirus pandemic, but beyond that as well. And is that? Let's talk about the finances here. Is there, mm-hmm. you know, is there such a thing as too big a deficit, too much debt? Are we getting close to that number? What what is is there a day of reckoning coming for all of this, or is this is this sustainable? Well, uh, before the budget, I was talking to uh, to people inside the the uh, government about this and about whether, first of all, they they believe we're still in the phase of the pandemic where the government does have to be the savior and does have to be the spender. And you're right, the spending is huge. They believe now that we are in a moment where, and we have been in a moment for the last year, where we... Um, we, we know now that the government, not the private sector, as you rightly point out, has been the one to save people from the pandemic. And this budget certainly perpetuates that idea. The, the two things I've heard about sort of prudence in this is um, relative to other countries, Canada doesn't mind being measured by its debt to GDP ratio. And, and that while we're still in the pandemic, we need to, A, measure ourselves by other countries, measure the debt-to-GDP ratio, and also give ourselves five years and and see where things are five years down the road. I was told that the budget was built on three timelines uh, based on holidays. 
There was one for, uh, there was the, the immediate thinking before Victoria Day. Is this budget going to do anything for people before then? And yes, it has. Then there's the timeline for Thanksgiving, when we expect that most Canadians will be immunized and starting to think about recovery. And there's a lot in this budget for that timeline. But the the spending and fiscal prudence and the guardrails and all of that are measured against a five-year timeline. The, 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 I'm sorry, yeah. Easter 2026 they, they, um, is, is what is in the government sites here. So what they're, I, I guess, they're, they're predicating this budget on is the idea that, that it's all going to be fine, but we'll, it's going to take a while, which is right. kind of the model of the pandemic, really. Sure. Yeah, and just before we leave the budget, uh, I want to talk about Doug Ford uh, and the situation he finds himself in in Ontario right now. Um, but very quickly, uh, do you think this budget is going to trigger an election or not? No, it will not. Okay. It, uh, it will be part of an election whenever that comes. Right. But Jagmeet Singh, was, uh, the NDP leader, was very clear yesterday. He's not, uh, he's not going to topple the government. And as long as Jagmeet Singh has all kinds of reasons to support this budget, including the stage of the pandemic that we're in. Uh, we're not going to have an election. And and the government did not put anything in this budget designed to trigger an election either. They, it, it, The one clear message sort of, you know, brewing all through the, the immediate commentary of the budget yesterday was, uh, no, we're not having an election right. over this. All right, let's talk about Doug Ford, uh, who's facing a lot of criticism and calls to resign over his handling, in particular in the last week of the pandemic and the rising rate of infections in Ontario. Uh, There was even a column written by a Canadian, David Moscrop, in the Washington Post calling on him to resign. Um, So it's making international headlines. Uh, What do you think about all of that? And, And can Doug Ford get himself out of this situation? You know, Doug Ford has fared a lot better than other premiers throughout this. You know, if you take the long view, I, I think we've discussed this, that that there are a lot of people that, that came around to Doug Ford in the early days of this pandemic because he just seemed to be like a regular guy who was going through this. And something definitely has turned in the last month. I think the accumulated rage and frustration building up in Ontario over the third wave and and the the state of the virus has people looking rightly or wrongly for folks to blame uh, the, the the rage against Ford is real you heard it over the weekend and I think it's over the inadequacy of the response and the strangeness of the stay-at-home order as it was put that the the, the visible but not entirely productive measures of getting the police right. uh, to uh, to do random checks on people and closing playgrounds. That those seemed those measures have been reversed. But it was extraordinary to see police forces across the province coming out and saying they would not abide by um, yeah. what Ford was doing. So something has turned. I don't think he'll resign, and I probably more than others, have some sympathy toward politicians who are trying to manage their way through a pandemic, uh, which nobody has ever done before. But certainly, you, Ford has been very quiet 
uh, ever since last Friday, when he issued these controversial orders, he's he's not been out in public. He was on Twitter yesterday saying that he was reaching out to international allies. But I think what you're going to see is Doug Ford sort of hunkering down, staying at home, following his own orders, and seeing if he can just get out of the way and, and hope that that uh, his goal of getting Ontarians, 40% of Ontarians vaccinated within the next couple of weeks, starts to turn the corner. Right. In a way, he's, he's taking some of the blame for Ontarians' rightful frustration with, uh, with where things are at. All right. We'll see what the next week brings. Susan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. I make this promise to Canadians today, speaking as your finance minister and as a working mother. We will get it done. Now let's take a look at what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne argues the federal budget gives money to all without a path to real economic growth. Coyne writes, The longest budget in Canadian history gives a broad picture of the government's priorities, or rather, the lack of them. The government is very concerned to see that no individual, household, corporation, activist group, charity, or church picnic in the country is omitted from the roles of those owing their livelihood to the federal government and their gratitude to its current stewards. It is rather less concerned with how any of this will be paid for. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, Christia Freeland's first budget lacks the unconventional thinking that Canada needs. Schofield writes, The Liberals were eager to take on the Conservative criticism that they were experimenting with the recovery and raise them one. Now that we see what their months of brainstorming have brought us, the budget results are certainly big, but not always as bold as they could be. These unconventional programs are weighed down by some fairly conventional thinking that risks short-circuiting some of the more creative approaches to an inclusive recovery. In the National Post, John Iveson argues the federal budget is out to crush the NDP and shame the Conservatives. Iveson writes, Christia Freeland's first budget professes to be about finishing the fight against covid and building prosperity for the future. But the front-end loaded nature of the expenditure suggests it is much more about crushing the NDP and shaming the Conservatives for objecting to all the lovely spending in this 724-page Leviathan. This budget does not do nearly enough to lighten the burden of future generations, but then, despite its protestations, it was never really meant to. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A parliamentary committee will hear from Canada's Auditor General this morning about her findings of shortcomings in Canada's response to the pandemic. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, MPs on the committee will also hear from the agencies who were in the Auditor General's sites. Mark, Auditor General Karen Hogan will be appearing with her team of auditors before the Commons Public Accounts Committee. They'll go over their latest report, which found that despite two decades of warnings, planning and public spending, the Public Health Agency of Canada was not ready for the global pandemic when it hit last spring. Ms. Hogan also found that the agency underestimated the threat, didn't properly assess the risks involved and was slow to react. The Auditor General also found that the Canada Border Agency did not know whether or not some two-thirds of incoming travellers to Canada had followed quarantine orders. 
Interestingly, after the Auditor General, committee members will have a chance to hear directly from and question the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada and the president of the Canada Border Services Agency. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet virtually with a group of frontline pharmacists from across the country to discuss the ongoing vaccination efforts, followed by a news conference. The Prime Minister will also attend question period before making a virtual visit to a business in Saint-Bruno-de-Montarville, Quebec. This evening, an interview with the Prime Minister will air on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April 20th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.